You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. It is so good to be back. I want to say thank you to Michael and Brandon who preached while I was out having the time of my life in Europe. It was such a gift from God, and I'm grateful to be back here with you and also to just be back in Georgetown. It's such a joy to be here this morning. You know, as we've been in this series, the summer in the Psalms, and these Psalms help us get a grip around the brokenness of the world that we live in. Not that long ago, it was April of 2016, my wife and I were heading to Gospel Community in Plainfield, and as we were leaving our neighborhood, uh, we saw a tragic scene on a hillside that was right next to the road we were on. It was uh, obviously a terrible accident that had happened with a, four, a four-wheeler. Uh, a man was laying on the ground on the other side of a culvert, and there was a little girl that was laying on the ground back of him, maybe 20 yards. And there had been several cars that had stopped, and uh, I told Monica, let's say a prayer, but I, I think we need to let the people that are on scene do what they're doing. And it was just horrific to look at. And I wondered what happened, but I found out the very next day that it was a fourth grader that was in my daughter's school. Her name was Alexis, and she had been riding on the back of this uh, ATV, and as they left where the grass had a, a, uh, a kind of a drainage ditch, he didn't see it until it was too late. She flipped over and landed on the rocks, and that child died that very day. And this happened two days before Prince died. I remember that because the little girl's favorite color was purple, and everybody in the neighborhood put out these purple ribbons around the tree. And then they had a memorial service on something called a sledding hill. I know you guys know nothing about these things called sledding hills, but in the neighborhood there's this hill, and um, you know it's made so that when this stuff called snow comes down, you can ride a sled down it. But it, it's uh, it's a bizarre thing. But we were on that hill for the memorial service, just a little memory service, and um, I was there with my kids. And Gracie, being of almost the exact same age, uh, was there, and the, the mother came up and said, did you know Alexis? And she said, yeah, we were in the same class, and her mom drops down on a knee and grabs Grace and hugs her. And as they're both sitting there crying, I'm watching, and I'm thinking, she's getting the last hug from her daughter right now. You know why she's holding on? Is because she doesn't want to let go because they're the same size. They knew each other the same way. That she is hugging her as if to say, I need this because I can't hug her. I'm going to hug you. And I... Being a pastor, you, you struggle with these things because anybody struggles with them, but... Lots of theological questions flow out of a moment like that for the whole family. Later that day, it was, Dad, we need to talk. We sing these songs of God's great love, and I believe that, but I don't know how to make sense of that. I don't either. 
emotionally, intellectually, there's some things I can try to lay hold of because I am human and I can read the scriptures. And as God speaks to me through them, I can go, "Uh uh-huh, I get that. But, uh, God, that's a hard moment. And as we cried our way through it, and we reach up for the hand of God in the midst of the brokenness and the darkness of this world, we find ourselves sometimes disoriented, lost for words. How do you get through both those tragic moments and the lesser tragic moments when you didn't get a promotion that you wanted, you got left out, you got excluded, you got dumped, you got made fun of, you got whatever. How do we walk through the valley that is called life until we get to come home to our Heavenly Father when the shadows are expelled by the brightness of uncreated light that is our Father in Heaven, that is our Lord? There is something I want you to know that the Psalms are here as if to say to us, let me help you. Many of them are songs that David wrote, and they help us because here's a man who also understood a lot of suffering, but he also knew the Lord, and he was anchored in the truths of God. He knew the heart of God. He knew the ways of God. And so I want to help you reach towards God in this darkness, in this brokenness. I want you to learn how when you have no words that you know to use to express the hurt that is going on, I want you to find in the Psalms an anchor for your soul. I would love to know the circumstances. I checked several different sources to say what was going on in David's life when he wrote Psalm 103 because it is Everest-like in its praise. It is a high, high mark of praise. And this Psalm can be Understood. This psalm can be memorized. This psalm can be agreed with. But to be experienced, you're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to walk through brokenness and darkness for you to realize just how good God is. You're going to have to encounter the darkness to understand how bright and beautiful our Lord is. And so I don't know what you're wrestling with today, but I know that every single person here has something that is hurting Something that you're frightened by, something that you're worried about, something that makes you stay awake at night when you should be sleeping. Every season is filled with some level of disorientation because we live in this broken world with our broken hearts. We long for heaven. We long to be there and we're not home yet. And so this morning from Psalm 103, I want to give you a roadmap that will help you understand what's going on in this psalm. Okay, so the roadmap would look like this, that you need to remember some things as you walk through the valley. Remember to thank God. Verses one and two show us in bold terms that you need to remember to thank God. Secondly, you need to remember that God is a compassionate father. This narrative can get lost and the new one replace it. So we're going to see that in verses 3 through 14. And then you need to also remember that eternity is in front of you. You're not home yet. All right. And so we're going to see that as this psalm comes together. You'll see these three steps as we go. Let me pray and ask God to help you with this. 
He wants to speak to you today, not just to a group, but to you. He wants to speak truth, encouragement, light into your life. Let me pray. So, Father, we thank you and love you. We thank you, God, that you have seen us, you have heard us, you know the path behind us, you know the surroundings in our life right now and the things that we're wrestling with. You also know what's coming our way both in this life and in the next. We know so little of all of those things. We can't even rightly view our past. We can't assess our here and now with clarity like we'd like, and we don't see the future yet. And so we're afraid. Oh God, help us to remember that you are loving and kind. You are a good father. You're a good shepherd of our souls. And God, I pray that you'd speak life, joy, and encouragement into us because of what Christ has done for us, switching places with us that we might know you and love you and be included because of his exclusion on the cross. I pray that we would see that and that it would set a frame around our entire lives. And pray that in his name. Amen. Well, verses 1 and 2, let me read those again. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his, all his benefits. Now let me just stop for a moment there, and I want you to just see this. To bless God means to thank God. A lot of times we think, well, I want, why am I blessing him? I want him to bless me. Okay, well, he has. And so to bless God is to thank God. And there is a momentum that comes with gratitude. As we learn to look at our lives as David did and, and say, you know, in the midst of difficulty, I can get my mind fixed around everything that is wrong, everything that is missing, everything that I hoped would happen that didn't, everything that's happening for so-and-so over here, and I can look back at my life and just be so discontent. There's a momentum behind that entitled bitterness, and it will carry you down a dark tunnel. David says... Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, every fiber that is within me. Thank you, God. Gratitude is becoming of us who have been saved. Gratitude fits us. Years ago, when I was in a very, the darkest valley I've ever been in, and I'd say that by a country mile, I was in such a dark place that I literally went into my elders and said, look, I think I need to resign. And they said, what, what? And I said, I, I just am in a dark place. I don't know that I can get up and preach with any authenticity right now. Not that I couldn't intellectually do it. Not that I couldn't get up and say these things. I'm just not sure if I believe these things right now. And I, and I didn't want to say that out loud. <laughs> and one of my pastor friends, I'd even say more of a pastoral acquaintance, I talked to him on the phone, and he gave me some advice that I didn't like. You know what he said? Robert, you had better learn to worship in this valley, because if you don't, the darkness is going to swallow you whole. And I was like, I don't want to worship right now. I don't feel like worshiping. I don't want to say thank you. I, I don't know if you heard all that I just described to you that was going on in my life, but I don't feel like doing that. He said, that's exactly why you need to learn to thank God. Find the thing 
that you can thank God for and thank him for it. And learn to see in the valley, bless God, oh my soul, my inner being, God, I thank you. And maybe it's right now for this thing right here, this thing that is in front of me, I can thank you for. And that trickle will become a stream. And that stream will become a river. And eventually, by thanking God in the midst of your valley, you will find yourself lifted up above the dark, gloomy circumstances that you're facing. So when you're in the midst of the valley and walking through, whether that's a valley that you're kind of liking and enjoying right now or one that you are sick and tired of, David gives us this advice. Bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, every bit of who I am, bless God. Thank God. Not only thank God, but also remember Forget not all his benefits. Forget not. Remember. Remember all of the benefits that are yours because of what Jesus has done for us. We see this with New Testament eyes, right? We see better than David did. And so he says, forget not all of his benefits. And then he's about to list them for us. There's five of them there. But let me just tell you this, that part of how we forget the kindness, the goodness, the benefits of God, is it's not just because we just forget them, it's that we get our heart and our mind distracted by other thoughts, and we drift away from the truth of who God is, and we look up, and our hearts have just gone lukewarm. We're distracted by other thoughts, and so in the attention we give, both intellectual attention, but also emotional attention we give to other things, we just drift away from these truths. And he says, you're prone to forget what God has done for you. We all are. He says, forget none of his benefits. Well, what are they? It's so beautiful. Look at what he says. He says, who forgives all your iniquity, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And so I don't know where you're at in the midst of things like meditation, but this is good stuff to just stop and say, I'm going to take some time, push away other thoughts, and I'm going to remember that when I came to the Lord, when I came to Him in weariness, in sadness, and in sin, He put a big red X through my sins, all my sins. That's a big one. That's the big one, right? The war between me and God is over. He has forgiven all my sins. Not just some of them, not just the ones that I think I could recognize and go, well, that's, that's pretty bad. It's the ones that I don't even want to remember at all. He forgives all my sins, words, thoughts, deeds. He forgives all my sins, past, present, future. All of it was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. I want you to hold that in for just a moment and recognize this. He forgives all your sins. Some sins you'd rather not even remember at all. He saw it. He forgave it. He forgives all your sins. 
Not only that, and we're prone to forget that, it says that he also heals all your diseases. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals your diseases. And some of them he heals in a way that we can see and hear now on this earth. But those eventually will not mean that we're going to live on forever in these physical bodies as they are. He ultimately heals all of our diseases. Someday in heaven as we read this psalm, we'll look back and go, that's true. I walked through that life, through that valley, and I had this and that with my body that was failing. And God sometimes heals in that time, but he ultimately heals someday in heaven when we put on imperishable bodies, immortal bodies that are suited for heaven. He's our healer. He heals the broken places in your heart, the hurt places. He's our healer. It says also that he redeems your life from the pit. Redeems. It means to extract. It means to take you from difficulty and pain and suffering, and he pulls you out of that. He extracts you. He buys you back. He comes and grabs you and pulls you out of darkness into light. He redeems your life from the pit. He pays the ransom that was owed because of your sin debt. He redeems you. And that's a great, wonderful thing to just sit with and think about the fact that he did that. You didn't do that. You didn't redeem yourself. We were playing softball. My first game with the team, by the way, we're one of the best teams. In, we maybe are the best team in Georgetown. And, 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 and so I haven't played a lot of softball. I was just happy to be on base. And, and I got on first base, and then Zach comes up, and he hits a pop-up ball, and I, didn't, I forgot to run. And that was the third out. And I, I thought to myself, in the next at-bat, I've got to redeem myself. <laughs> I mean, I literally thought, God, I kept going to the guys, man, I'm sorry, that's on me, that's on me, I'm sorry about that. I forgot to run. You know, that running part's kind of important, you know. I just wanted to do something good so that I could gain back stature. Listen, that's in, baked into your DNA. When you fail and you blow it, when you really sin and you, you have iniquity and grossness in your life, there's part of you that wants to go, I can do better than that. Watch this. I'll do it. I'll, God, you watch and everybody, I'll read, I'll, for me, for my own sake, I'll redeem myself. No, you won't. You have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. He redeems you. He redeems you, your life from the pit. And get this, he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. See, you should at some point look up at your life, like I'm sure David did, and say something like this. Where would I be if God hadn't intervened? What would my life look like? If he had not grabbed hold of me and pulled me out of that mess of sin and rebellion and foolishness, what would my life look like if it weren't for him? Well, you know what you're saying? I'm so glad he redeemed me. I'm so glad that he laid hold of me and, and took hold of my life and pulled me away from that rebellion and that sin. He's redeemed me. And not only that, he crowns me, crowns us, with steadfast love and mercy. Now, when you see the word steadfast love, it's theologically speaking to something that's called 
covenant love, that God has chosen a very sturdy, eternal love, and he sets it on your head like a crown. His love crowns you. You're not only pulled out of the pit, you're crowned with God's steadfast love. There's a statement when I heard it, I thought that's going to stay with me a while. It was this. It says that health is the invisible crown Health is the invisible crown that a healthy man wears that only a sick man can see. Now, if you've ever had a man cold, and I've had a couple, they're brutal. And you find yourself going, oh, I just want to feel better, right? But you don't think that when you're healthy. You think that when you're sick. Health is the invisible crown the healthy man is wearing that only the sick man can see. You know what freedom is? You know what freedom, someone that's truly free, because God has forgiven them, redeemed them, loved them with a sturdy love. You know what freedom is? It's the invisible crown that the child of God wears because he loves him. And everybody can see it. <laughs> you ever met somebody that just knows in their core of their being? I don't know if you like me, but I know that God loves me. I don't know if things are going to work out right with this job or this, but I know that God loves me. And you are wearing an invisible crown that the whole world can see. It's called freedom and grace. And it's because the sturdy, eternal, steadfast love of God has crowned you. You not only have a life that used to be chaotic and a mess, you still got some mess in your life, but the love of God sits like a crown on your head. It's invisible, but everybody can see it. I love meeting somebody who's, we call them WYSIWYGs. What you see is what you get. It's like they don't have the sense to edit themselves more. They're just kind of out there. They say what they're thinking. <laughs> they're not always going, I wonder how I'm coming off. <laughs> I, I kind of like that because I like somebody who's really, in a sense, they're unvarnished. They're not hoping to be accepted and loved by you. They're just kind of who they are I think the love of God crowns us in such a way that it gives us freedom. It's his sturdy, steadfast love and mercy. And we're going to talk about mercy in a moment because I want you to know what this word means in its deepest sense. But it's God's steadfast love and mercy in your life that grants you freedom. It grants you uh, liberty in a way that the world could see. So he redeems us. He crowns us with steadfast love and he satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now this is an important thing too. It's God who understands the deep needs of your soul. He knows how to satisfy you with good. Right? Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy me with your steadfast love in the morning so that I might worship you all the days of my life. God, you satisfy me. Because a job can't do that. Not really. A spouse can't do that fully. No, they're part of the picture. But you're not going to get it. You're not going to feel that satisfaction outside of God. And God satisfies you with what? With good. So that you would have strength like the eagle. Uh, this is an important thing. Like when we were, I got to tell you, we, we went through assessment with Acts 29 again before we planted. And one of the things they said is, we want you to have a plan for fun. I was like, that's one of my conditions? They're like, yep. I'm like, well, what, do they have? How do you, what do you do with something like that? And they said, what would make you smile? 
I said, European vacation? I don't know. And they're like, that's it, that's it. Write that down. One of your conditions to plant this church is we want you to go to Europe with your wife and just have fun. I said, all right. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> and so we, we go, and I don't know if you've been to Lake Cuomo, but I don't think I've ever seen anything on the planet like Lake Cuomo. It's just so fun. You ever met real, authentic Italian people? They're fun. And I'm looking at this, and I'm in Venice, and I'm like, this is crazy. And I kept just smiling like an idiot because I was just having so much fun, just so much fun in Switzerland. It was just a blast. I was on the Autobahn driving way too fast and thinking, this is so much fun, right? And I knew where the good in my life had come from as Monica and I were driving down those roads, and I said, God is so good to us. Not just because of the vacation. Vacation, really, it was fun, but it was, God, you're just a good, good God. And he satisfies you with good. Look around you. Find the good. Find it in the sunrise. Find it in the stars. Find it in a rainbow in the sky. And know what that rainbow really is. It's a promise. The wrath of God will not fall on you. Find the good in your children's laughter. Find the good in a cup of coffee or a nice glass of wine. Find that good and turn around and say to him, I will not forget you. I will not allow other things to become so big in my mind that I can't find any good today. It's you, God, who satisfies me. And as you satisfy me with good, it gives me strength again to try rather than give up. Another season in front of me that might be challenging some ways I didn't like. God, let me find the good that you give me in my life to satisfy me so that I have the strength to keep going when I want to quit. Now, let me ask you this. Have you forgotten these things? Of course, we all do. That's why it's so important for you to engage in the life of a church and not sit on the peripheral. I know some of you want to do that. If you do that, you're more prone to wander into entitlement. You're prone to wander into bitterness because you're going to forget the benefits of God. You're going to forget how good He is. You're going to forget that you're forgiven. You're going to forget what your life might have looked like. You're going to forget the kindness of God because you don't have the body of Christ around you saying, hey, I want to tell a story of just how God's been at work in my life. And you go... Yeah, that's a great story. It reminds me how God's at work in my life. So you want to walk through this life and you want, to, you want to walk through the valley of this brokenness? You're going to need to remember who God is and thank Him for it and meditate on it. There's something else. You're going to also need to remember that God is a compassionate Father. Now, I want to tell you, it doesn't get any higher than Psalm 103 when he starts speaking of God. You know, and, I, and you guys know this, that I love C.S. Lewis. Above all authors outside of Scripture, I love C.S. Lewis. I've never, well, I want to say I've never read a book of his. I've listened to every one of them many times over because I'm more of an auditory learner. Like, that's how I take in books. And I love them. I love mere Christianity. I love screw tape letters. 
I love the horse and his boy. I love all those. But you know the ones I love best? Paralandra. I love Surprised by Joy. I love the ones where he wrote himself into the story and gave himself words to say. The Great Divorce, he's the main character in the book. C.S. Lewis is. So he writes himself into the story and then explains himself in a way that you could never understand otherwise. Well, guess what? The Word of God is written so that we could know who God is. Jesus is the full explanation there of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. And so when we look at the Word of God here in Psalm 103, what are we looking at? God describing himself. He put these words in here through the mouth of David, through the pen of David, and he described himself. And so I want you to know this. This is a true narrative of God. And if you forget these things, you'll end up where we were with our confession. Did you see that, what we read with our confession with Tim Keller? Let me just read it again so that you understand how important this is. It says, Lord, so many of my problems stem from not remembering you. I forget your wisdom, and so I worry. I forget your grace, and so I become complacent. I forget your mercy, and so I get resentful of others. Help me remember who you are every moment of the day. So I want you to know that if you're going to walk through this life, and you're going to walk through this valley. You're going to need this as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. You're going to need to remember and thank God. You're going to need to remember who he really is. And he's about to describe it in words that are so high and so beautiful that I want you to hear this again. Listen to these words as God uses the pen of David to describe himself. It says here in verse 6, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. You'll recognize that as Exodus language, right? And it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Now, there's a lot there. But I want you to do this. I want you, you we all have an image of God. We all have a narrative of God. And what I want you to do is just hold up what you think about God next to this and see where you need to correct and some of you know the, the quote from A.W. Tozer that the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God. Because what comes to mind when you think about God is shaping your view of yourself, it's shaping your view of the world and others. And so the most important thing about you is what comes to mind when you think about God and God has just given you a description of himself. Let's look at it together. It says... 
the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. So this is a common thing for Old Testament writers like David is they all go back to the Exodus because that's the time when we saw national salvation for the whole nation of Israel. We were captive. We were enslaved. We could not extract ourselves from harm. We couldn't redeem ourselves. And God, in His power, demonstrated through all of those plagues that He alone was sovereign God. And it ended with this, the last one, the Passover, that if you will take shelter under the, uh, the blood of an unblemished lamb, the wrath of God will pass over you. And so David is hearkening back to the grace and to the mercy of God as he extracted them from Egypt. Go back to your salvation, I think David is saying. Go back and remember, you did not save yourself. You took shelter under the blood of a lamb, the perfect lamb of God. And that's how you got passed over. The wrath of God did not fall on you because it fell on him in its fullness. Remember who God is. Because he is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Now, we kind of mash those two words together, merciful and gracious, but I just want you to not do that for a minute. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Nobody that's guilty is looking for fairness. They're looking for mercy. I don't want what I deserve. I don't want you to give me what I deserve. I want mercy because I'm guilty. I need you to not give me what I've earned. Give me mercy. Grace is getting what you did not deserve. Grace is unmerited favor. It's God giving you what you didn't deserve. And so when I ask for mercy, I'm saying, God, I don't want the penalty to fall on me. When I ask for grace, I'm saying, I want you to give me what he earned. March of uh, 1991, a guy came into uh, in Florence where the statue of David was. He'd taken a a hammer and he put it in his jacket and he went and he started attacking the statue of David in Florence and knocked off some of the left toes. What did he deserve? He deserved to get tackled and all the bystanders hold on to him until the police got there and then they throw the guy in prison, right? How do you fix something like that? How do you pay for that? He's going to get what he deserves. Okay, he didn't get mercy, he got justice. Right now, it'd be one thing if they gave him mercy, he wouldn't have to go to jail. He wouldn't. Okay, wouldn't it be peculiar if they said, and by the way, we're going to make you an honorary citizen of Italy and we're going to honor you as a ambassador. What what world are we in where somebody doesn't have to pay the penalty and then they get exalted? Friend, look back at yourself and understand this by hundreds of miles difference. This is exactly us. We needed mercy. We got mercy. We needed grace. We needed what Jesus got, not what we deserved. We want what he deserves. Look at this. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. You ever been around somebody where you're always kind of thinking, did wrong because they seem like they're mad at me. 
come on, you know somebody like that, that you're going to go on, you're retracing the last five interactions with them going, remember what I said? Did I do something? Like, they're, they're just so easily excitable, easily upset. Well, okay, he's not like that, just so you know. He's slow to anger. Doesn't mean he doesn't get anger. He, he does. But he's not excitable like that. You're not always offending him. You're not always upsetting him. Right? Like we walk around this low-grade level of guilt because as Stephen Fry, the atheist, he's an entertainer slash debater slash actor, whatever. Stephen Fry said when he was talking to Jordan Peterson about God, and he said, yeah, there is this thing called the problem of ought. A problem of ought that atheists have to admit to. Every culture and every place at all times have had this problem of ought. What I ought to do, what I ought to be as a person, noble, truthful, sacrificial, I'm not. I ought to be, but I'm not. And so the problem of ought haunts the world and every inhabitant of the world. And he said, the Christian has an answer for the problem of ought. What we failed to be, what we ought to have been, Jesus is. He is for us. And then he was sacrificed for us. And so it says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in sturdy love, covenant love. He will not always chide, nor keep his anger forever. What he's saying is, I know how men are. They always have an angst. They've always got an anger that they don't want to let go. He says, God's not like that. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquity. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Now this is where we all collectively go, amen. I'm not on a bartering system with God called religion. He doesn't repay me according to my sin. He has forgiven us. Did you notice in the previous passage where it says he forgives, he heals, he redeems, he crowns, he satisfies? It's all active tense verbs. I mean, why not say past tense? Oh, because he's at work doing this even now in your life. That's who he is. He from eternity past could see your whole life, and he's at work in your life right now. Healing, redeeming, forgiving. He's at work, satisfying. This is what he does. Now hold that version of God up next to the one that you've got. And if you need to correct, then correct. Because this is who he is. He's forgiven our iniquities. As far as and as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. You know what David's doing in this moment? He's saying, let me, let me try to give you an example. Look, look how high the heavens are. Just look at how high up there it is. That's how much grace God has for you. It's bigger than you think. It's greater than you think. And he's not repaying you for your sins or we'd be in real trouble, every last one of us. He's different from that. He's like a father who has compassion on his children. It says, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He knows our frame. And what does he do? He remembers that we are but dust. I want you to just think about this. 
David's stretching to tell you who he is. He said, just look at the heavens. Look how high they are. Look at a father with his children and understand that as you've seen a father act with compassion, this is our God times a hundred. I mean, I want you to just think about something. I think Zach and Jen and I are close enough friends that I could use this illustration. We'll find out. What, what happens if I say, hey, you know, we're in gospel community together and uh, we get lots of babies, lots of babies in this church. I've noticed that Gage isn't taking a sippy quite as fast as Duncan. I just wanted to point that out. Do you know what's happening in their hearts right now? They're coming to the defense of their son. How dare you? Right? I mean, I could go further, but I don't want to do that. Like, I could find, like, if I started measuring and going, hey, I, you know, I see some deficiency or whatever. Like, every mom in the room's hating me right now. They're like, that is a terrible illustration. But, like, you get this, right? As a parent, you come to the aid of your child. You come to the defense of that child. You come to the hovering care of that child. And then somehow, when it comes to you and God, you start feeling, I'm not doing very good. I ought to do this. I should do that. I... Okay, friends, that's called religion. We have the gospel. We have the gospel. See, the most incredible verse, maybe in all of the scripture, is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It's just so amazing. It says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So on the cross, the Father treated Jesus as though he had lived our wretched lives. He treated him as though he had rebelled. He made him the object of that wrath. He became our sin bearer on the cross. So that what? Because he had none of his own sins. So that we could become in him the righteousness of God. And so that's why you're not on a religious treadmill of what do I have to do? He doesn't repay us according to our sins. His love separates us from our sin as far as the east is from the west. You'll never connect the two, or they wouldn't be east and west. You can't connect the sin with the sinner once he has come to Jesus, because Jesus has bore our cross. And in Isaiah 53, it, say, it says it was the will of the Father to crush him. See, this is where I really have to go, oh, my word, I've gotten you wrong sometimes. On a bad day when I feel like I ought to be something else and ought to be better, which I feel often, I find myself going, man, God, let me redeem myself. Let me get out there and do something better. Let me hit the ball this time. Let me catch the ball. Let me do whatever, but let me redeem myself and be a better person. And he says, you are holding up a narrative that is just because Jesus is our Redeemer. Because Jesus took that place on the cross that belonged to me, that belonged to you. And because of that, we have freedom. We have forgiveness. We have a Father who looks at us, comes to our defense, comes to watch over us, shelter us. That's who He is according to His Word. That's who you are in Christ according to His Word. You're the beloved child of a loving, eternal Father. Now, you might be protesting your mind, yeah, but you don't know all this stuff that I've done, okay? True, but He does, and He loved you from eternity past. This is the next point that you need to remember. You have eternity in front of you. You have eternity in front of you. Watch this. 
See what happens next. It says, as for man, his days are like the grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place is known no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is not like that. It is from everlasting to everlasting. See, hold, hold on to this for a second. I, you're going to get old faster than you thought. Don't say amen, any of you who are just my age or a little bit older. But I mean, I'm talking to um, Ryan on the way in, Ryan Gould, and I said, you know, we're talking about his son, and, and we're just talking about how fast they grow up. And I said, well, don't blink, you'll be watching him graduate. And you know what Adam said? Amen. Right? It just goes so fast, and that's not going to slow down, in case you're wondering. It's going to go faster. It does. And there are pictures that I was looking at when Monica and I first got married and we were in Sherman, Texas and my kids running and playing in the sprinkler and now they're going to college next year and one of them's already in Colorado and I'm like, oh my gosh, it goes so fast. Okay, that's what he's saying. And listen, you're going to walk through this world and you need to remember that this is not your permanent state. This is not the way it will always be. There's this life and the life to come. And it's going to go fast. And you're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. You're going to have bright mornings. You're going to have dark nights. You're going to have things that disappoint you and discourage you. And guess what? You're going to have other things that make you feel so alive, so loved by God. And you are going to find that this life goes by very quickly. But God's love's not like that. It's from everlasting to everlasting. Ephesians chapter 1 says we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He's loved you from before the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 13 says that our names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the founding of the world. You were loved before there was a Garden of Eden, before there was a cross, before there was any of this. You were loved. You were the object of his love. Now let that set a frame around how you face the ups and downs of this life. Because it gives you the ability to put things in perspective. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. Say thank you to the Lord. All his angels, all his mighty ones who do his word, who obey his word. The Lord, bless the Lord, all you his hosts. His ministers who do His will. This is again also speaking of a different class of angel that works and serves in a uh, military way. Bless the Lord. Say thank you because His kingdom is coming. And this life is short. The thing that most helps me in the midst of the darkness in the valley is this. That little girl that was died on that hillside and her mom wrapped her arms around grace I, I, I felt myself God forgive me for thinking this give her back I know this sounds terrible but I thought I, I know what's happening here and, and I just need to hug her myself right I, just, I, I, I knew what was happening there and I just want to like oh, I just need I need to hug her now right Father in heaven sent his son to this world to live a perfect life and die a 
criminal's death so that we could be made sons and daughters of the living God. Friends, you, you need to remember that. I need to remember that. I wanted my kid back because somebody else's child had died. I, I was like, oh, and I find my heavenly father saying, I send you, my son, into the world that you might live and die. Be exposed, be beaten, be mocked, be stripped, be nailed to a cross. Though he'd done no wrong. Zach and Jenna were going to write me a letter after this saying, never use my kid in a sermon again. Right? Like, you want, right? And I'm probably going too far with that. But my point is, that's what we do as parents, right? But our heavenly parents said, go and get them at cost of your own life. You know, the story of the prodigal son, the one that, that has the rich father and the brother that's so good, the story of the prodigal son is he says, Dad, I want my inheritance now, and I'm going. And he lives this terrible, reckless life. And then he comes home. And what does the older brother say? I'm not going out there. That son of yours, I'm not doing that. You know what our big brother said when we were in that spot? He came and found us. Our Savior came and said, Dad, I'm going to go to the foreign country. I will get them, and I will pay for them, and I will bring them home to you. Huh. Remember that when you feel like you're not enough. When you face the dark night you didn't want to face. Our Father did not cling to his Son and say, no, no. He said, yes. And he was willing to crush his son so that we could be saved. I so want this for myself and I want it for you. That if you come here, that you'd hear this good news, that you would remember this good news, and that you would come down to this, this table, if you will, that you would eat, drink, and remember and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, that I don't have to perform for you, redeem myself. I don't have to do all this because your son has done it for me. Let that shape the valley that you're walking.